This is Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Ketchledge. I'm also an author. In 1979, I became a near-death experiencer. I chose to explain the truth I learned about the afterlife, reincarnation, and near-death experience through my fictional book series, The Near-Death Saga. While dead, I was shown all human beings are shrouded in ignorance by design, in order to learn valuable lessons in each incarnation. When you die, the artificial facade falls away, and we awaken from the dream into reality. For more information, you can find us at NearDeathTV.com. Please join us as we explore the after-effects of near-death experience. Hi. <laughs> And uh, welcome to a new episode of Near Death TV. I'm your host, Laura Ketchledge. Today we have a really interesting, uh, really interesting author to interview, N.K. McDaniel. She is the author of Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. Did I say that correctly, Kathy? You did, thank you very much. Okay. Um, she is a best-selling author. You can find her book on Amazon, and she is an experienced speaker talking about near-death experience and its after effects. Okay, um, we're going to call you Kathy. Yes. Um, that's your nickname or your middle name. And, um, you know, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat is an extraordinary book. So that, let's go back, Kathy, to uh, 1999. Tell me about when you died. When I died. I died uh, after catching the flu, pneumonia. They, to save my life, put me uh, in a coma and threw me on a ventilator. And it all happened rather quickly. And when they threw me into the coma, all of a sudden, it began. And I'm just going to read you a short part of the book and explains how I felt when I became conscious. Please do. I didn't feel dead, only confused, total darkness and absolute silence. My only references, not daring to move, I waited. The blackness morphed into a reddish glow, dragging with it a stinking heat, acrid fog, muffled moans and ungodly shrieks. Oh, this can't be good. Something was staring at me like a blow. A voice thundered. Do you know where you are? My mind raced, searching for some rational explanation, but part of me already knew. Hell, I whispered. To my horror, the answer was an ear-splitting, maniacal laugh. The evil crept closer as I clamped shaking hands over my ears. Panic surged in me, triggering the requirement for fight or flight. Fighting was not an option. I turned and ran. So that's how my adventure started. Well, it's a pretty scary one there, Kathy, you know, a, <laughs> you know, a, a feel-good NDE. Okay. <laughs> So do you feel, now this is kind of a complex question, do you feel that it was a trauma 
based out-of-body experience or a true near-death experience where you coded? Uh, you don't have to code. You can get in a coma and uh, you get to this place where you can kind of drift back and forth across the veil. So that's something that needs to be explained and accepted by people. Uh, that's just the way it is. I was gone. I went somewhere else. I was not here. And uh, it, uh, the place I landed was, um, it was very different. And when I came back, um, the time I was in the coma was three weeks. So it could have happened any time in there. They had called my parents in and my family and said, she's not going to make it, say your goodbyes. So I was that close to death. But the problem is they sent me back. Uh, I say problem. So um, that's the first part of the explanation. And now you can ask, ask me the second part. Well, Kathy, we'll get to that. But, you know, this is, how old were you when this, when this was occurring? I mean, you were a healthy person leading a normal oh, yeah. life and then boom, suddenly you're sick and you're on a ventilator? Well, I had been taking care of my best friend, former fiance for about eight months. He had uh, leukemia treatments up at um, a local hospital. So night and day, he and his wife and I took turns taking care of him for that period of time. Then she broke her foot and I was taking care of her too. So I was run down to say the absolute least. When he died, it devastated me. I was a physical, emotional, and you know, mental wreck. And so when I caught that flu, it just knocked it me down. It just, it, just, uh, it just ravaged your body. Well, I have to say, being a caregiver of two dying parents for over five years, I really Ugh. thought I would go before them because you're so wore out and it puts you yeah. in such a, a very, very susceptible place with your immune system. So you just, True. you know, you're, you're in the hospital, you're, um, I'm trying to give everybody a feel, you're in the hospital, your family's been called, you truly are on the brink of death. And when you crossed over into that veil, that horrendous shock, tell us what transpired. After uh, meeting that invisible demon or just hearing him through the fog and I turned and ran, uh, it seems like it was a movie set, one movie set after another. The first was I found myself in this uh, destroyed civilization like New York City, completely in ruins, fires and broken concrete everywhere. It looked like a nuclear blast. And uh, again, it happened so fast, I just, I just knew I had to protect myself and survive. I had no idea I was dead. Um, I, 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 I did what I could. I, I, there were some creatures there. It was so dark, I couldn't quite see. I finally found somebody I thought was a person. I couldn't see him very well. And, and I asked if they, they'd come, you know, let's get together and we'll, you know, gather firewood and find food. And he says, well, no, we are all alone here. Well, that was not good. So. Um, I ran for it, uh, started being surrounded by some beings, and then boom, I woke up in another place. Um, not woke up. I just, it was like somebody, it was like watching a slideshow, and then all of a sudden the slide changed, and I was in a completely different place. This time I was in this huge blackberry field that went on for as far as you could see with this, for want of a better word, demon standing next to me explaining uh, that I could get out of here if I would just do one task 
And the task was uh, for me to take these kindergarten scissors and cut down the, every single cane of blackberries in this endless 360 degree forest of blackberries. I, I knew they were playing with me, but I, I was alone and I thought, well, if it's a chance to get out, I gotta take it. So as I cut this, this darn tough branch by my feet and, and every time I moved, I got cut by the, the thorns. I finally got the darn thing cut and I turned to cut another one and magically this thing regrew itself. So the beast started laughing and I knew that I was just being toyed with. And I just, I just thought, well, if that's what I got to do, but I, he says, you, you must despair. Just give up. You'll never get out. And I says, no, I'm not going to do it. So then I, boom, the scene changed. Now I'm in this weird kind of haunted house, uh, beauty parlor, but there's somebody that I know from earth is there. So this is again, a reason why I wasn't feeling dead, but there was an interaction with that person and uh, it didn't go well. And then, and then boom, I'm somewhere else. There was a terrible incident where I was in this huge hospital corridor is all I can explain. It went down as far as you could see and there was these bright lights and of course I'd been in the dark for a long time so I, I felt uncomfortable with that and, and there were a, there's a door on the right, a door on the left and then way down at the end of the hall, here comes another demon. It's just a different one but you can tell they all look like us and they're big and he was running toward me. He told me my next chore was to go into the room on the right, take what they give you and put it in the room on the left. Now get going. So, okay. okay. Want to stop? Oh, no, so I'm like, just saying, okay, I'm listening. Uh, okay. No, so, so basically, it's okay, Gabby. Um, so, basically, you're going, you're in, in, do you feel that you were in the lower astral realms going through one dramatic, hellish um, <clears throat> setting after another? Like in rapid repetition, this was just one chain of events of pretty much hell. Well, you know what? It took me getting out to be able to try and figure that out because at the time I was trying to survive. Uh, being thrown all these curveballs, I was just trying to hit them back and maybe get out of there. If I could find a way to placate or outwit or something. So I just kept going, but never did anybody help me. And so I just I, that, that's all I can say. I, I had not the luxury to stop and say, my goodness, I wonder what this is all about. So <clears> I wonder if you're telling us that you were just reacting to one situation after another without having any pause time to contemplate or plan. Am I correct? You're right. There was no reflection. It was, it was just survival. Oh my and uh, it got worse. How did you get out? I mean, it went bad. We don't want to tell it everything went, that happened. No, you don't tell me. But it went bad to worse to really worse. And Ooh. the very last situation, pardon? Ooh, scaring me. <laughs> Go on, <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> was, well, there was a, the next place was the abortion clinic where I had to uh, go in and, and these doctors were doing numerous abortions on this huge room and they'd give me this poor little desecrated baby body and I would carry it across the hall and went into this big room where I was supposed to lay it down and when I opened the door it was like a Costco warehouse full of mountains of these little dead babies and uh, I came back out and I said I'm not going to do that you know you can't make me do that I won't do it 
And that's when I would come to another place. Uh, the worst probably was one of the last places was finding my way down this endless dark road uh, into some sort of town where these uh, people that were more like zombies. It was very dark, but it was, it reminded me of some evil, medieval uh, horror movie and uh, they started surrounding me and I, I dared to look into their faces and of course their, the skin was falling off their bones and their teeth were all rotted and they were in rags and the stench was awful and I, I got attacked viciously by a bunch of these people. Did you feel pain? You know, I put a special little quote in the front of my book that says, from um, uh, Roland Murello's book, that says, you only have to have the hint that something is going to happen to you and you already experience it. Even it's If somebody tells you, I'm going to tie you down and pull your teeth out one by one, and to, already you're suffering. They don't even have to touch you but you're already there. And there this is in retrospect, I, I understood later, I thought, well, geez, I didn't have a body. How did I feel? Well, the, the thought and the thought of it happening, seeing it happening automatically just traumatized me. Um, it was as if, you know, so got to the last spot and I didn't know it was going to be the last spot um with a bunch of other ladies that were had been traumatized like i had in that situation and um i didn't give up but they told me this was where i was going to stay this is going to be my new job you know being a whore of hell is just probably not what something you want to put on your your resume and we were just waiting for god knows who to come by to do to know who knows what to us and then it, I said to this, this demon that was in charge of us there, I said, you know, I've been here a while and this seems particularly lousy uh, time right now. And she just quipped, you know, that it was, oh, well, it's, it's Christmas on earth and it's always the worst time in hell. Well, that's the first time I'd heard the word hell. And I was so run down and so still me. So I started singing a Christmas carol. And she shrieked and came running, pushing these ladies aside, and the other ladies started singing too. And I won't give the book away, but there, all of a sudden, bingo, I'm, I'm in this bright, wonderful, loving place. I'm, the whole bit, they all tell you, is true. It's ineffable. You can't describe with human words, with a human brain, what's up there. It's uh, out there. So you God went to source great. after that. You went to source. To where? The source. Uh, I call it heaven. It was the presence of God. It was. It couldn't have been anything else. To be in such ecstasy, such joy, such warmth, such. It was just every wonderful day you ever had on your whole in your whole life, times a million, uh, happened all at once, and somebody said they'll never take it away from you. You just sit there and you just bat, bask in this love and, and all. And I thought, well, this is good. And all that memory of hell and birth, everything kind of was gone. You're just so 100% there and happy. And yeah. you're at home. You're just yeah. home. But I've the thing there. was... I, I do understand. <laughs> now, I want to go back and I've got a question that I think that a lot of the listeners would be asking themselves. 
when you were in hell, were you living out some of your worst hidden fears and nightmares? When I got back and over the last 20 years, I will say, yes, I made my own hell. I have come to determine and understand and believe that God is in unconditional love. He, you can't make him mad. He does, you don't have to be forgiven for anything. He loves you just as the way you are. And he would never send anybody to hell. But by my Catholic upbringing, my belief in purgatory, if you did such and such, you know, you had to pay for it. You know, you did something bad. You spent 300 days in purgatory. But if you said a rosary, you subtracted 20. And it was a whole math thing. So I expected to go to purgatory when I died. And purgatory, by definition, is hell. Mm -hmm. But you get out. Mm -hmm. uh, well, so you that's... had a, lot, a big dose of Catholic guilt when you were growing up. And I had oh, guilt. So, yeah, I, I, but I... <laughs> Bought it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, yeah. And so there. when I came back, and over the last 20 years, and only in writing this book, did I determine, because somebody pointed it out, gee whiz, some of the terrible things that happened to you in your life are the things you experienced in hell. So you're absolutely right. But I didn't, you know, it took time and... Lots of digest. Step back and look at it and say, I created that. And so my... My message to people is, don't do that. You don't have to go to hell. Nobody has to go to hell. Don't make yourself go there. And there are things we can do. And there's that whole positive accepting God for whom God is, which is pure love, and living our lives in a, in a, in a loving and kind manner, and forgiving ourselves, forgiving each other. The other I thing know, that comes up is I really do. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, it's about letting go. Um, Kathy, you know, speaking with you, I can tell you're an upper middle class educated woman that has never been a bank robber, serial killer. <laughs> you're a nice gal. You're a good Catholic girl. But still, you know, you have that uh, Catholic guilt and shame kind of embedded in you that a lot of conservative religions do. And this is, don't you think that was the catalyst why you went to this hell? Oh, yeah. I, I chose it. I expected yeah. it. But you learn something from it. And, you know, when your time does happen, and maybe one of the gifts that you received is that after you pass, hopefully 100 years from now, you'll have <laughs> a much easier transition. So that has been, you know, perhaps a gift. But how long did you feel that you were actually there? Like time-wise, it's different on the other side, but it did feel like a really long uh, length of time that you're going through these traumas. Yeah, if I when I came back uh, again, it, uh, the eternal now is what's on the other side. Um, if I had to guess, I'd put two years on it. Oh no! Oh god! I mean, it was a long, long, long <laughs> out there, you know? and I, I never really oh. thought I. It was awful. <laughs> and it really got awful, and you know, um, but I, I think well, it's a good explanation. Um, when I left my body after, you know, after my accident, I felt mm -hmm. like in a very long trip on the other side that my grandfather brought me back, and I was mm. so shocked to find out later, you know, 
maybe it was a couple minutes that I wasn't hearing yeah. like so lengthy, but two years yeah. until, you know, if you ever did anything bad in the future, you've already paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's learning to forgive yourself. You know, yeah. people, they say you have a life review. Did you have a life review? Yeah. Okay. I think that's probably all the punishment anybody needs is, is, you know, if, if I've hurt somebody, and I get to feel how that person felt, mm -hmm. that's not a punishment, that's an understanding. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just, ooh, that, that, I should probably not have said that. And I don't think that that has anything to do with God punishing me. That's just me having the opportunity to see the consequences of my actions, good or bad. And that's a learning thing, that's good. Yeah, you know, you, um, so how old were you when this occurred, 1999? This was, I was 53. Okay, so you were a full adult, you weren't a kid, and no, no, it was a tremendous shock. Now, you know what I think a lot of listeners like to know when you finally got to heaven, did you see a loved one? Did you see somebody that you had grieved over and truly missed? Were you reunited? Did that happen? Yeah, the fellow I saw was the fellow I'd been taking care of that died of leukemia a month before I did. So uh, again, we were together seven years, the love of my life, and uh, we had split up because he had to move to the East Coast to go for a job, and I stayed in the West Coast because of my I had a business, my family, and and it was we were still close, but we weren't a couple. So when I came to take care of him, I mean, I still loved him dearly, and and so. When he died, it was awful. But anyway, I'm in heaven and I'm, ex I'm just so excited. And I look up and he's there. And How'd he I look? thought, How'd he look to you? He looked like he was about 35 years old. He had, instead of gray hair, now it's brown. I'm doing all these quick, I, you know, glances and I'm thinking, wait a minute. Last time I saw him a month ago, he had no hair because of the chemo and the, and his all lumpy, his eye was all swollen with an infection, you know, he withered away to, I don't know how much pounds. And he looked great. And he was even wearing a sweater I gave him last Christmas. And I thought, what is going on? But he's laughing. I can see him chuckling over there. He's about, I don't know, 10, 15, 15 feet away. And then um, I thought, oh my gosh, it's like he heard what I said and I didn't say it out loud. And now he's kind of, now he's really, he's really joyful. And I thought, oh my God, he doesn't know he's dead. And now he's, he's, he's doing this little jig that he always used to do when he was really excited. And I thought, uh-oh, this is a clue. <laughs> if he's dead, then I'm dead. And then it took a, yeah. a couple of yeah. seconds to really sink in. Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy I'd gotten to heaven and there he was. And it's like, wait a minute, where are the angels and the, and the flowers and this stuff? Here I am in this room. So I looked around again and I thought, I'm missing something. But over in the corner was this like architect's table with a big book with open pages and something flashed through my mind that said, oh, I kind of remember him showing me something, which I assume was the rest of my life. And, and I said, oh, no, 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 that's going to be too hard. I want to stay here with you. And that's when he came over and said, no, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And I, he and I were always tricking each other. We would get one up on each other. And this time he won. This was like he got to send me back to earth. <laughs> it's like, gotcha. But I was gone. You know, and uh, 
he's with me all the time. Uh, I got still got his picture on my desk and he's watching over me and helping me and my kids and my son even named uh, his, my only grandchild named after him. I don't know. It's, it's been interesting. Um, what an adventure. I don't regret it. Well, let me fast forward because we don't want to give up too many of the details because this is a must read book. Let's fast forward to when you came out of the coma. I'd like to know the after effects and any increased psychic abilities you might have been experiencing since this, um, you know, for the last um, number of years, 20 years. Yeah, um, I think one of the first things that really hit me, uh, it was a horribly long um, recuperation as anybody that's been in a coma for three weeks will know. You're down to 86 pounds, no muscle mass, have to learn to do everything again. It was awful. And, uh, but the voice, do you hear the voice? I mean, do you what, hear what, doing where, at what period of time? Well, Coming back? Well, this started pretty much right away when um, it's, it's a voice that I've heard since I was a child. It's, it's like my guardian angel or my conscience or something. And I know when I hear this voice in my head or my heart or wherever it is, when I'm trying to make a decision or something, I usually, if I, you know, I'm quiet, this, this little voice would, you know, woo, I kind of really listen. Well, since I got back from the other side, this voice yeah, I don't is have coming, that. Go on. It, it's loud and clear. It's like the radio station got tuned right in and, and the voice comes unbidden a lot of the time. <laughs> and so that was a huge difference, having this feeling that maybe I'd become schizophrenic. I was hearing voices, you know, that sort of thing, afraid to tell anybody about it. I mean, I certainly couldn't tell them about my hell experience because they'd say, oh, what, what they did say was, gee, what did you do to deserve something like that? You know, well, oh, let me, let, yeah, no, I wasn't going to go there. So yes, to hear have this voice, that was a big thing. And then when I started going to IONS, I talked to other people who said, oh, well, that's just the voice. You know, that's just God speaking. We all hear it. So that was so wonderful, just getting to IONS. Because I found out some of these gifts that I, I, I was that were confusing me. Explain oh. them kind of in a chronological fashion, um, because we do have limited time. I'd like sure. to, you know, what are the four main gifts that you received uh, or increased psychically? Psychically would be the the voice, and it's pretty spot on. When I if I follow that voice, it's, it turns out well. Uh, another is it seems like. I can kind of drift into people's heads and feel how they're feeling or finish their sentences almost all the time. If they're searching for a word in a conversation with me, I'll, I'll put it in there for them. So there's this sense of being, uh, I don't know, soul to soul with a lot more people than I used to be. Uh, that's been kind of a big thing. And that's good because sometimes when somebody's angry, they're really just hurting. And, and, and so it helps me to approach them differently rather than react with anger back to their anger. I can now say, ooh, something's on your mind, something going on in a family and diffuse that. So that's been a real gift, I think. Oh, yeah. um, uh, that's, that's been cool. Um, I think the biggest thing that's been helpful to me is to through IONS people and other peoples to understand that this life is really just a play, that I chose everything in my life for a reason. God gave me free will 
And now I never have to say to God, why are you doing this to me? Why do you keep sending this crap to me? I can just say, wow, I planned that. That was interesting. Didn't read the fine print. Um, so that's been a big, big difference to just let God be God and to accept that I'm not a victim. I chose all of this. And that's been hugely freeing. Of course, of course. Now, your book, Misfit in Hell, Heaven Expat, where can people buy it? Um, they can get it on my website if they want. Uh, that's www.misfitinhelltoheavenexpat.com. But that's a little bit more because it's you get an autograph or interview or something. But if you go on Amazon and supposedly Ingram Sparks, and uh, maybe after COVID, the libraries will have it. So Amazon's probably best for the Kindle or the print. Oh, I think that's that's wonderful. Everybody's Kindling today. I've got one. I knew. I figure it out. Um, so um, tell me about the latter part of your book. You know, you write, you have these thoughts and ideas. Tell me how you express them in your book. Well, um, after being back and uh, trying to assimilate all this stuff and going to the IONS meetings, all of a sudden I started hearing a couple of words and I'll shorten it up because they came two at a time over several months. And I, because I asked God, God, I do not want to go to hell again. And please just give me a, just a succinct thing I can put on my mirror to remind me every day. And it, it came out to be, Loving, be you must be loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. And useful's been the one that's kind of popped out as uh, being different from what you get from the Bible or, or any other religious teachings in it. How so? It, how so? Uh, it's like, how do you be useful? And and the, when I asked that question, it came back as a, somebody quoted this well, a long time ago. But if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And today we've got so darn many problems, and so okay. everybody needs to look at how can just little me do one little thing to be useful to turn things around. And doing these other things, you you know, being loving and kind and non-judgmental. That's a really big one. Grateful. All those things will help. But like for me, I don't know, I might have been homeless in a previous life or something, but I'm really sensitive to the plight of the homeless. But what can I do? Well, I, I take clothes and stuff and, and stuff over to the Tacoma homeless shelter. I, I give them things. Um, I send money to the homeless shelter or to Catholic Community Services, which is does an excellent job with the homeless. And um, and then, uh, so those are things I'm doing. Now, if, so if somebody else has got a passion for something else, just do something small for that organization. A big thing I found, I was doing my Amazon ordering the other day and I had designated Catholic Community Services as my little contribution, you know, they let you do that. And I'd send $181.41 through Amazon. Now, if everybody on the planet got on their computer and looked and sent Picked one, one charity, anyone will do, and, and sign up to send that 1% or whatever. That'd be a lot of money. I think, so that, I think that's very doable. Uh, let's move on. Uh, yeah. 
Now, in your uh, speaking, do you have any engagements coming up soon? I've done, I've, I've lost track of how many podcasts and radio shows I've yeah, done. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's the, that's the way people are interacting. And that's how messages are getting out. I applaud you uh, for, for having your, your whole organization there. I know it's a, a lot of work, but it's changing lives. It's bringing people together all over the globe. And um, it's very important. I think that's the most important thing people can do is get on podcasts with their message and turn on the radio or whatever to listen to them. Well, I think, uh, thank you. I, I am doing this podcast to share information and this is not a come to Jesus preachy uh, podcast whatsoever. But when mm -hmm. I had my near death experience, it was 1979 and I was lost. I had nobody to speak with, couldn't find any information, therefore didn't talk about it for 30 years. It's a long time to keep wow. something in. And I think that common sense needs to uh, be applied when you're exploring the near-death experience and just hearing honest, good people without an agenda, telling what happened and preparing. You know, we work so hard to build a great house or have a good, you know, investment portfolio, but nobody's really planning for what happens after you die, the rest of eternity, oh, you know? So yeah, that's a big thing. <laughs> I think having a little information and letting, being able to let go of fear before we make the transition that everybody's going to make is yeah. helpful. And you have such a bright, articulate message. And when, let's say somebody goes out and buys your book tomorrow. What is the value they're gonna take out of your book, Kathy? Hopefully getting rid of the fear of dying is probably the hugest part of it, mm -hmm. uh, or at least giving them hope uh, to let go of, of their preconceived notions and to know they're gonna see their, all their relatives again, the people that see their pets up there, I mean, they'll be there too. It's just, it's just, it's okay. Everything's okay. It's all working out the way it's supposed to. And to stop worrying. I think worrying is the It's a the human, human do. feeling. Yeah, we all worry about the unknown. We all are afraid, fear the unknown. We're just hardwired that way. Um, mm -hmm. Did you try to tell your doctor or your nurses your experience when you came out of this coma? Yes, and I was told it was the drugs, and it was because I was in the coma for so long, and it was a dream, and it would go away, and of course, I remember every second of it, and, you know, uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't experienced in my human brain, it was experienced in my, my consciousness, that's why it didn't go away, yeah. Uh, so yeah, nobody would talk to me, my parents particularly, nobody wanted to hear the hell thing, holy cow, are you kidding me? Um, no, 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 no. But it wasn't until I got to Ions and I, I ran across, you know, uh, Moody and, and um, uh, Storm and Nancy Evans Bush that I got to think that maybe that was an experience. It wasn't a punishment. And uh, at one of my Ions meetings, somebody said, why did she go to hell? And somebody else raised their hand and said, she was a missionary to hell. She was sent there to tell those people they did not have to do that and to come back and tell people, you don't have to do that. One little thing that I read in William Buhlman's books, who I just 
you know, he's associated with the Monroe Institute, who I believe is like the most brilliant person, you know, <laughs> author around. Um, he said, if you find yourself in a hellish situation to try to send the, this perceived demon or try to concentrate on love, and if mm -hmm. you're afraid, send love, and it would kind of reverberate back. And I think mm -hmm. that that is something that, uh, you know, that is an important thing to remember because who knows, you know, you can have all the information in the world and who knows where we're going to end up. But reading books like yours, Kathy, understanding, having, you know, your wonderful way to articulate, it's going to help a lot of people. So, you know, well, you, get I hope a, so. you get a few points there. <laughs> so I'm going to let me. They won't let me go back to heaven until I get everything done. So whoever yeah. is out there that needs to read that book, would you please buy it? Yes. And what are your <laughs> thoughts? We're going to end the show in a minute. But what are your thoughts about reincarnation? Were you shown anything uh, in particular about any past lives? No, and I've been real interested in that. I did a past life regression seminar not too long ago. But enough NDEers have, have told me about it, and I believe them. Uh, yeah, I I. I it makes sense because I have flashbacks of, you know, I'm sure I was an Indian maiden uh, going through the woods, you know, to, I, you, know the, you get those little flashbacks, especially when, when you're a child. And I think, well, okay, that's probably what it was. It was one of my previous lives. And that's fun. That's fun. I'm a Gemini. I like yeah. lots of fun things. Okay. So now, um, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat can be found on Amazon. So I'm saying to the listeners, go out, buy it, read it, send me your feedback. I'll post it on my uh, website or my Facebook fan page for Near Death TV. So this has been a wonderful interview. And, you know, Kathy McDaniel, thank you. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for, you know, plowing through these technical difficulties to do the Zoom conference call. And, you know, this is a book that I think is going to uplift a lot of people. So if you're listening, read it. Read Misfit uh -huh. to Heaven Expat by N.K. McDaniel. Uh, thank you for um, being on thank the show. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Laura. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening. The Near Death Saga books, Near Death Connection, Throwaway Horses, and Reincarnation Connection can all be found on Amazon. Or you can go to theneardeathsaga.com to read book previews. For more Near Death TV interviews, go to neardeathtv.com. Thank you.